You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Rose. She's smart as hell, and she's got a ton of experience with helping people get a fucking therapist. And she's my great-looking and wildly patient wife. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be positively terrible. Hey, Scott. Dan, what's going on, man? Uh, just hanging out, trying to get my wife on a podcast. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah well, I, I'm trying to talk to your wife on a podcast. I'm I'm impressed you were able to book her. I booked her once. I, I know that she does get a, a booking engagement fee every once in a while, so uh, surprised we got her here. So thank you for coming, Rose. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Dan was opening his mouth, so I stopped. I thought he was going to say something, but I, th- he, I think he's just chewing. Did, did you guys have a good dinner or something? in awe of me. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and the one thing that I'll say is Rose is very, absolutely been married to Dan for a while. Very patient. But I know the look. I've, I've seen the look when she's, when, when she's being patient. So uh, we're going to try to not get that look today, but I can't help but think that Dan is probably going to say something that gets it. But, Guaranteed. Yeah. So, so thanks for coming. And, and I'll just say for, for listeners today, I'm not going to go through the housekeeping or any of that spiel. We're going to keep it short today. I've had COVID and then the recovery I had, I wasn't in the hospital or anything. The recovery I, I've had has not gone as well as I had hoped. Um, so instead of the normal format last week, we we took something from the vaults. And this week we're, we're, we're doing something that we wanted to do anyway, uh, but we are going with the, the alternate format once again, uh, because this was something that I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to do this week. And Rose is an amazing woman and an amazing guest. So it, it worked out. And then I started feeling better. So I'm here today. So Rose, thanks for being on. Um, I don't even know where to start with this interview since, again, this this is new, like in the last hour that we decided I was going to be here. So uh, first question I was going to ask is, what kind of therapist are you? Uh, good question. So okay. uh, <laughs> I work at an outpatient uh, group practice, so I see mainly adults. I'm going to throw a lot of uh, acronyms out today and hopefully explain a little bit more what they mean because I think that's also half the battle in finding a therapist is understanding oh, sure. the jargon. Um, but I primarily uh, do dialectical behavior therapy and uh, EMDR. Uh, I'm also the intake director at our practice of almost 50 clinicians. So we get a huge amount of intake inquiries. And so I often am matching those people with our available clinicians or I'm providing referrals to uh, colleagues uh, and other clinicians outside of our practice. Okay, that's awesome. And you said adults. I, I am going to th- comment back on listening to last week's episode with Lauren, who said she worked with a six-month-old and a hundred-plus-year-old. And I had forgotten about that, and I thought that was one of the coolest things that I've ever heard. Um, so working with adults and 
uh, I know today what we want today to be kind of educational and appreciate you saying that you're going to help define some things for us. Um, but one of the things that the reasons that we really wanted to have you on is to talk a little bit about like the therapy experience and how you find a therapist. So let's just kind of start there. I know that a lot of people are very intimidated by finding a therapist. And I'll even go as far as to say is sometimes when you're not doing well, you're depressed or or whatever, it's an intimidating thing to even think about, let alone to go and see if your insurance is accepted, who, what types of therapy are there, who's best for me. Right. So I, I guess my first question is, what is the starting point for someone who's thinking about uh, finding a therapist? Like you said, it's unfortunate that especially with depression, one of the major symptoms is uh, decrease in motivation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. have to do a lot of heavy lifting to try to figure out, um, to navigate any healthcare system. Uh, and the mental health care system even more so. Um, So I think the first thing is realizing I want something to change. I want something to be different. And maybe friends and family aren't necessarily cutting it, or I'm wanting more of an objective perspective, or maybe I need uh, really concrete skills or to learn something here, or maybe I just need a space to explore whatever the hell I want to explore Mm -hmm. and figure things out. So there's a wide range of reasons why people are going to engage in therapy in the first place. Um, also some people may not be looking for therapy for themselves. Sometimes they want to find, uh, resources for a friend or family member that they're concerned about and be able to offer them and kind of do some of the legwork for them, or you're a parent and you're looking for resources for your child. One of the first things that people will do is either go to Google or Mm -hmm. to their insurance panel, uh, and find out who's in network. Those tend to be the two biggest things that determine, uh, what names you're going to get right off the bat. But that can be really difficult, especially with your insurance panel, who's in network because it's just a, a, an unending list of anonymous names <laughs> right. that you have to throw a dart at and sort of decide which ones you might choose. Uh, even sure. if you go through then Googling their name and finding out their specialty and seeing their online bio, that still doesn't necessarily tell you everything about that person or if they're open to new clients or what their schedule looks like. So it's hard because there are a number of different uh, steps to take. But the first one often is, um, you know, I would suggest uh, asking anybody in your life. If you have a family member, if you have a friend, if you have a coworker that you're comfortable talking with and asking, hey, have you ever seen a therapist? And Mm -hmm. trying to get word of mouth, kind of like plumber, lawyer, finance person, right? Like word of mouth is really great. If you've got somebody that already is knows some quality uh, providers, that's a great thing. Yeah. I I would not call an HVAC guy without talking to Dan first. And unfortunately (laughs) uh, I ruined his relationship with our HVAC guy. Um, Not intentionally. I got a new HVAC guy now. (laughs) Oh, okay. I I need his name. I'm I'm not giving him to you. (laughs) I I, I, I had a feeling. So, when looking for a therapist, then, um, you know, recommend recommendations are a great place to go. And I, I will be the first to say that I've used that strategy and that's how Dan and I and other friend or friends of ours have ended up seeing the same therapist at times. And I think it's a, a wonderful starting point. Um, but I also know that mental health is something that people don't love to talk about. And, you know, even at times, 
I used to say, oh, I've got a meeting or, oh, I've got an appointment instead of saying, oh, I've got therapy today. So do you have any recommendations? This might be, be a hard question, but recommendations on how to broach that topic with people. Is it just feeling them out and knowing who who is safe? Yeah, I mean, depends on you, your style and the people in your life. I tend to think that transparency is the best policy. And mm. I feel like I would encourage everybody to own it. The more we speak about it, like it's a normal thing, the more it's a normal thing. The more I dance around it with euphemism or kind of, you know, wait until the doors are closed and ask the person that I really trust, the more it kind of keeps it secret and sort of shameful versus, hey, does anybody know of a therapist? The stigma has decreased and diminished. It's not gone completely, but uh, over the past 10, 15 years has gone down dramatically, especially over the pandemic. And the likelihood that somebody in that room has a therapist is probably pretty high. Okay. I was going to, I was, you, you answered my question. I was going to ask if you, if you've seen differences through COVID and it, it sounds like you have. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, silver linings, right? Uh, we just had to give away part of our life. And now mental health is important. But right. uh, I, I mean, it was during the pandemic when I started seeing a therapist as mm -hmm. well. And I think that it pushed me to that breaking point. And, and obviously circumstances in my life became um, unmanageable. But I also think they got to that unmanageable point, but had already been going down because of the isolation and the anxiety and everything else that went along with that. So it, it's definitely when I started my journey and other people I'm sure did as well. When you said that sometimes people are looking for others, um, is it? I mean, that sounds like it's it, it can be difficult territory. Um, now, if it's for your child, I mean, that brings in a whole different set of circumstances with a child who may or may not be resistant to therapy. But I, for now, I want to kind of talk about the adults in your lives. Um, do you find that it can be helpful when someone else is seeking that help for a party who is is depressed or has things that they need a therapist for? Because I, I hear stories about, you know, we've talked about addiction and things like that on this podcast. And the, the, the person who gets help needs to be in a place where they're ready for it. So how does someone who believes a person they're close with needs help kind of broach that with, with the person? Uh, if it's somebody you're concerned about, again, transparency is best policy. Hopefully, if you're really good friends, then you can go up to somebody and say, hey, I love you and I'm really concerned about you. This okay. has been happening. This has been happening. Uh, you know, lead by example. If you have a therapist, being able to enter into the conversation with I've seen a therapist and I found it really helpful and I think maybe it could be helpful for you. It's still their decision if they want to do it or not. They'll say no or I'm not interested in that right now or and you drop it, right? We're not forcing anything. We're just sort of planting a seed or creating an offering and they do with it what they will. But again, being able to be really transparent about it and utilize yourself as an example if possible. Yeah. And it, it's, it's amazing how often like empathy and compassion and how far that will take you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like in a lot of walks of life, but this is obviously a very sensitive topic to a lot of people. Um, so when someone goes out and is looking for a therapist, then what what would you recommend they kind of look for? How are they going to know what kind of therapy or what type of therapist is is going to be helpful for them? I mean, aside from trial and error, or I shouldn't say aside from trial and error, because that very well might be your answer. 
Well, so, you know, you need help and you mm. want to be open to seeing a therapist. So you do a Google search, you talk with friends, uh, other connections and word of mouth. You can go to places like Psychology Today, Therapy Den, Inclusive Therapists are all uh, directories, very large directories that you can search by. Um, type of issue, uh, identity of the therapist, insurance is accepted, location, all of that sort of thing. So he narrows down and hopefully gives you a few names. At that point, I really feel for the person because I know that, again, motivation is a limited resource. Uh, mm -hmm. Energy is a limited resource when you're really at a point where you are kind of reaching out for this help. At the same time, I also think it's incredibly important to test drive a few options and don't just call the first therapist that's just on the list that has the last name that starts with a and go with them right that uh get two or three options and call them uh any clinician that's worth seeing will have uh, the option to do a 15 or 20 minute brief phone consultation mm -hmm. to let you know a little bit more about them their approach um their scheduling be open to answering any questions that you have and you get a sense of fit then as well you can get really concrete questions answered like what do you specialize in what uh what's your approach do you have wednesdays at three very concrete questions but you also get a, a sense of vibe there's sort of intangible uh things that go into fit with the clinician uh sometimes i've heard you know people will call a clinician and the clinician was all business and immediately started saying well here's what they were a brusque and um you know, just said, well, this is the cost of therapy and what's your insurance? And, and that really sat poorly with the person and they knew, well, that's not the fit for me. So it just, or somebody doesn't get back to you or somebody's very disorganized in how they get back to you. There's a lot that you can learn about a clinician in just connecting with them for that consultation. One of the biggest predictors of a positive outcome in therapy, uh, research has shown over and over again, has very little to do with the type of therapy that you're doing and more to do with the client and clinician fit, how comfortable they feel with each other, how good the relationship is, um, how much they share uh, and agree on an idea of what's going on and what will be helpful. And so the fit is the most important factor in a positive outcome of therapy. Okay. And just, I think, I think what I'm hearing, and I just want you to uh, tell me if I'm wrong, is fit might as well be another word for comfort yeah. in this circumstance. Okay. So if you feel comfortable, it's a huge part of it. It's not okay. only comfort. So sure. fit might also be what, what approach, right? If I'm seeking uh, help with trauma, does this person specialize in trauma and have experience with trauma? I can have a right. wonderful comfort with them, but they don't actually specialize in trauma. That's not necessarily going to be a fit. Yeah. And that's a good point. And something that I was kind of assuming in my head is that you've already looked at what their expertise is or, but, but that's a good reminder is that that is a, a very important element. Um, and so if, if you did go to a, uh, therapist and, and were interested in their services or at least feeling them out, it, does, does the therapist also consider like do they if they feel that they're the right fit for mm -hmm. for the potential client okay yeah and it's also not doing the client any favors to you know take on a client that they don't feel like they can serve effectively mm -hmm. or efficiently uh, in some cases for example there might be a client uh, and unfortunately the client will never know this uh 
but the client might be presenting with an issue that's actually a pretty hot button item for that clinician, right? So for example, um, I've had you know clinicians and, and their parent just passed away, right? After a prolonged sure. terminal illness and, and that, that clinician is going through their own stuff specifically as it relates to grief and loss mm-hmm. around the loss of you know their mother. Uh, then prospective client calls two weeks later and, and everything on paper looks really good, except the clinician knows I can't take this person. They're, they're, they're specifically wanting to work on my, my, the recent loss of my mother. And sure. the clinician knows I'm not in any place to walk somebody else through that. Other stuff, yes, but not that. <laughs> and so the clinician kind of reached out to me and says, I can't take this on. The clinician might say, I don't have availability for that or something along those lines. They won't share their personal reason for that. But a clinician might um, sort of say, I'm not, I'm not the one for you in, okay. and for that reason. Sometimes okay. it is just that they don't have the availability, but sometimes they are also kind of sussing out whether or not they have the Got capacity it. to work with them. So you're saying that maybe a person in my situation, <laughs> if I sought out a therapist and they also had had a relationship with my wife, that maybe they wouldn't have wanted to be <laughs> me as, as their client. Well, that's different. If they had a relationship with your wife, that would enter into dual relationship territory, not necessarily share traumatic experience. Okay. okay. So if they had a, a, a partner with a double or triple life, uh, yes, just like if mine, had a similar but, experience. Okay. But so so. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily preclude that. It's if the clinician okay. is still in a raw state about it. There's plenty of clinicians that most people get into mental health because of their experience with mental health, Got right? It. And so. A clinician likely has their own trauma history and has their own ability to sort of understand what it's been like to go through difficult things. And sometimes that can help. But if they are in it in okay. that moment and they haven't resolved it, it can, it, it can be something that can be a barrier to treatment. And that's so they great. take that, themselves out. That's great. That was going to be my next question, because sometimes being able to relate to people is a, a great thing, right? I, I mean, I would like to talk to people uh, who know um what I've been through. It, sometimes right. that's helpful. I mean, <laughs> I think it's difficult because the nature of the therapeutic relationship is one that I'm authentic when I relate to my clients. I still show up as Rose, right? But I'm mm-hmm. I'm not telling you about my personal life. I'm not sharing my heartache and hardship. And so you get this really distorted perspective of your therapist as somebody who has no problems, always has their shit together, has like no negative feelings in their life. And none of that is accurate. It's just the nature sure. of the relationship is not reciprocal. And you get this sense that that they, you know, have never experienced anything difficult. They have. And we go through a lot as clinicians of supervision and consultation in our own therapy to make sure we've got our shit in check. It's not that we don't have the shit. It's yeah. that we work hard to have that shit in check so that we can work with other people's shit. Yeah. And I, I will say in my personal life, I tend to find that I just can't connect and relate to people who don't haven't gone through shit or at least give off the vibe that they haven't gone through shit. I guess we all have. Right. Um, but, but I often find that people who have been through things and know that life isn't always easy. Uh, they're, they're often some really good people and, and people you want to be around. So, um, I hope my therapist has had some shit in their lives. Cause if you haven't, you know, are you in a place to be telling people? And, and maybe you are. And I shouldn't even say telling people. I'm rambling now. And again, this is what happens when you don't have a plan coming into it. Um, but I, this I, episode's going to suck. 
Ah, God damn it. You say that every fucking time. <laughs> Let's not even get him started on the decent fucking human tattoos that everybody's starting to get. Um, no one, no one has gotten one. It, it, it's in the works. There are two that are in the works. I'm just in charge of scheduling. I didn't want to uh, tell that today. Um, but Rose, this offers for you too. I, I will pay for a decent fucking human tattoo, uh, anywhere you want. Uh, you can put it where the, the clients can't see it if you want, or maybe they'd want to know you're a decent fucking human. What'd you say? I can put it wherever I want. Wherever. I mean, uh, on you. No, I said (laughs) on you. Um, so yeah. Um, now is there ever a time that someone is just not even ready for therapy? I mean, is, is there, do you have to be ready for it to, to actually have it work for you? Well, you wouldn't be calling me if you weren't ready for it. I think that uh, yeah. the different levels of care, you're going to get different levels of willingness and, and openness and readiness for change. If somebody's mm-hmm. in a hospital, for example, they didn't necessarily choose to be there. If somebody's in, in a rehab or intensive outpatient, again, they've probably uh, been recommended that by pro- other providers. Maybe they're not the one who 100% wanted to do that at an outpatient level of care, which is... Um, and maybe this is good to sort of discuss the levels of care, but an outpatient level of care is what we call sort of the regular once or twice a week for an hour with a therapist. An intensive outpatient program, an IOP or a PHP, partial hospitalization program, is where we step it up. And there's a program that you go to with group therapy, individual therapy, and it's three, six, three hours a, a night, three nights a week. So you might do okay. it after work or something like that, but it's more intensive. So it's it's nine, about nine hours a week that you're in a clinical environment. And then PHP is five days a week, almost like hospitalization or inpatient, but you're going home, uh, you know, okay. eight hours a day of treatment and then going home. And then residential, which is where you are actually living at the facility for a period of time. So Got at an outpatient it. level of care, if somebody has enough motivation to pick up a phone and call me, they're ready for change. It is such a pain in the ass to have to Google somebody's number and call or email and then follow up and then actually show up at the appointed time or have that phone call at the appointed time that even Mm -hmm. if they are still incredibly ambivalent, the level of readiness for change to do that is pretty high. They're pretty open or they wouldn't have even gotten to there with me. So I'm at a level of care where I'm often seeing people who are really willing to go there. And even if somebody wasn't willing, like let's say a parent or sibling or somebody was trying to do the legwork and I've had people do that and I'm happy to provide them the information because they think it'll be easier if they can just show the person, here's, here's somebody that's available. They have openings, they specialize in this, just give them a call, but it's still up to them to give the call. And Mm -hmm. if they're not willing to do that, then I won't even see them. So certainly people are not ready for change. But by the nature of how you have to connect with the therapist, I'm not seeing them because they're not ready to talk to me yet. Yeah. And and I get that. And even for me, like if Dan didn't have a recommendation when I asked him, it might have been three months later before I asked someone else. Sure. I, I, yeah. I mean, just in, bottom line. And, and, and honestly, I, I've said it before that um, I had told myself at the time that I was doing it to, as you said before, lead by example, be someone that could show someone else who mm-hmm. that therapy is a good thing and that, Hey, I'm working on myself too. And may not have done it. And if I didn't, 
um, have that approach at that at that moment anyway. I eventually, I think, would have gotten there. But I also think that my first month was a little bit, I, I don't want to say wasted, because I think it got me steps closer to talking about the things that I need to talk about. But it, but I didn't have the right direction yet. And, but I was showing up and I was showing up once a week and I was talking. Um, so I guess that, that leads me to a, another good question. Someone in their first experience with therapy, do you have any advice for how to get the most out of it? Yeah, I think have a good idea of what you want to work on. And that's also sort of an indication of a therapist that, um, you know, you'll do good work with is it doesn't necessarily have to be super structured um, and super manualized, but you do want to walk in with a sense of what are your goals for therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, I often will give clients the first time kind of some questions to think about that can be really helpful as you are um, deciding if you want to do therapy. And one of the biggest ones is what do I want to be different in my life? Mm -hmm. Right. What do I want to change about myself or my environment? What uh, what would be better if that changed? Right. What value is that related to? Mm -hmm. um, another question I ask is how will therapy help you make that change? Right. Because I've had people who the issue is I want a different job. How will therapy help you get a different job? Unless it has to do with the emotion regulation piece, with the imposter syndrome, with the interpersonal effectiveness and the communication. I'm not a job coach, though, and I'm not sure. a career counselor. There are therapists that do specialize in career counseling, but that's not me, right? And so asking mm -hmm. that question, how will therapy help you with that? Also, has, as in that instance, somebody said, well, I guess therapy actually kind of wouldn't if, if that's not what I'm looking for. So think about sure. how would therapy specifically help you with that? What do you want out of therapy? Um, right. What do you want? What what would you have to be willing to let go of or do differently for this change? And that's another way to acknowledge that um, change isn't always change, even when it's for the better, is still hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you are going to give up something by doing things differently. Somebody walks in and says, I want to worry less. No problem. What do you have to give up or be willing to let go of in order to do that? You might have to be, you might have to let go of some perfectionism. You might have to mm -hmm. give up control of some things and risk that they might fall through the cracks if what you want to do is worry less about those things. And that's not saying oh. give up all control, but thinking about those questions. What do I want to be different? Why? How does therapy help with that? And what are, what's that flip side of the coin that I'm signing up for in doing this? So I think sure. having yeah. some goals and being open to the process, doing your homework, <laughs> most therapists assign homework and it's not like a, here's your worksheet, but maybe it's a think about this or try this thing different or read this thing. And if you can take it out of the hour a week that you're meeting with your therapist, that is the biggest creator of change because change mm -hmm. doesn't happen in that room that you're having the conversation. It happens where you engage in the different behaviors in every other aspect of your life and every hour of every day outside of that therapy office. So that's what to, to think about and getting the most out of it is being able to do it outside of that hour. Yeah. And I, I, I will agree with that and say that that might be when I saw my biggest improvement is for a long time, I wasn't thinking about therapy throughout the week or the things that we talked about throughout the week. And then I put a reminder in my phone literally every day. It's like 15 minutes. Think about therapy was all that it said. Yeah, and that's great. 
you know, it by the time, you know, it, it wasn't 10 minutes beforehand like this episode where I started thinking about what, what I'm going to say um, or what I wanted to talk about or what I wanted to think about or what did I learn or, you know, there's a lot of things to think about when you say think about therapy. Um, so I, I know we're trying to keep this short today. Dan, what question have you always wanted to ask Rose about being a therapist that you've never had the opportunity to? Good question, Scott. Thank you. See from who's thinking now. A therapeutic standpoint, not even a therapeutic, from, from a personal standpoint, how difficult is it to watch me stumble over my own dumb ideas so often without giving me therapeutic advice? <laughs> uh, probably as hard as it is for you to watch me stumble over things and not give me mansplaining advice. <laughs> I'm not you are meaning- really patient. <laughs> but i'm normalizing that you know again we all live a life and being a therapist doesn't mean you know everything and that you've unlocked the code to being human and uh there's plenty of times in my personal life that i don't have the right advice for people and i uh you know it's helped me be more patient and compassionate for sure to have this job but it doesn't give me all the answers Okay. And I, my, my train of thought has returned to the tracks. So the, the one question I had uh, remaining was if you have gone through the process, you've found a therapist, you're talking to him or her, and there are things that you are uncomfortable or not ready to talk about. Do you have advice on how to get through that or or how to just get it out there with, with your therapist? I'm just say it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, I, obviously the, the, the client isn't the only one doing all the work here. The part of the role of the therapist is to create the safety in the space to be able to say that. So, okay. you know, they're not doing all of the heavy lifting of, oh my God, I have to say this now they've created a positive therapeutic relationship and feel comfortable and safe with that person. then the likelihood is uh, that that therapist is able to assess for what's going on and probably has mm -hmm. a semblance of an idea of what it is that the person is hesitant to share and will create the space for them to share it when they're ready. But also that if, if it's working, then you'll progress to a point where you're comfortable to say that. And if it's not working, then you won't. And sure. not working because it's not the right fit or not working because you're actually not as willing or ready for change as you had thought. And maybe you need some more time, but generally the, the therapist is going to provide a lot of encouragement to be able to just be transparent about it. Sort of, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm hesitant to bring this up or I'm feeling really embarrassed in saying this thing. And sometimes being able to narrate your experience like that allows it to be easier for you to share that. So if you're nervous about telling your therapist something, say, I'm nervous about telling you something and then let the conversation proceed from there. Okay. I, I like that. And the, the one thing I'll add to that that helps me is to know that there's, there's quite a bit that therapists have heard. I, uh, a, a lot of the things that I've gone through might not be exactly what other people have gone through, but there are flavors of it and things that are similar and things that others might say are worse or right. not as bad. So I, I, to keep me honest and to keep me open, I, I do think about that. Like I'm probably right. not telling him or her 
the worst thing they've ever heard. Right. It's hard to, um, to shock a therapist. And, and I think that your podcast <laughs> does that too. And the whole point of sharing the trauma is so people don't feel as alone in it because we're pretty sure we're the only people that have ever felt that level of fear or shame or isolation or whatever that is. And being able to recognize that you are not the only one, sure. you know, therapists are in business for a reason. And it's not because like one single person had a problem and went, it's because all of us you know, struggle and suffer as a, the common humanity across everybody. All right. Well, my heart skipped a beat. One of my favorite therapists just said that our podcast is doing good work in the world. Thank you, Rose. I appreciate that. Uh, and hey, I, m most of most of my worry here is that one day Dan will just uh, tell me that he is spending too much time on our podcast. I don't think he gets to spend enough time on the podcast. So I'm just saying that, you know, one day if he quits his job and we're doing this full time, uh, it's going to pay off in the end for all of us. So ju just remember that we're doing good work out here. Uh, I will wrap up. You are a decent <laughs> fucking human. I've known that for a very long time and you proved it every time that we talk. I will give you one last opportunity. You said you're going to have to define some acronyms and I don't think we ever got to defining oh, yeah. acronyms. Uh, do you have any, any of your favorites or any <laughs> that are relevant to the kind conversation that when someone is looking for a therapist, they might want to keep an eye out yeah. for. Um, so CBT uh, is cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's pretty much the fundamental foundation of most modern psychotherapy, and every clinician has been trained in it. So a lot of people say, I'm looking for CBT. Everybody does CBT. It's kind of the bedrock of everything. So you don't have to find like somebody specifically trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Another big one that people look for is dialectical behavior therapy, DBT which is essentially CBT, which is about changing your thoughts and actions, but plus Buddhism. So a lot of people really like uh, DBT, and I specialize in that. Uh, they, it's a type of therapy that teaches a specific set of skills and incorporates a lot of um, Eastern philosophies. Uh, EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and it's a trauma treatment that uses eye movements uh, and has been shown to be very effective. Um, uh, those tend to be the big acronyms that are thrown out for the types of therapy that people do. And then psychodynamic is another type of therapy that's less structured and more about kind of finding meaning, uh, in past experiences, things like that. There's a whole host of other acronyms, um, that are for different types of issues that can be helpful for it. Again, it's not that any one has proven to be better than the other, Okay. Uh, in any specific area. So it's really whatever resonates with you, whatever feels like that's a good explanation or that matches my lens with which I see the world, then that's probably going to be an effective uh, treatment for you. All right. Very cool. Thank you so much. I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people. Um, appreciate you being on, Rose. Always a delight to talk with you. Uh, and Absolutely. I don't know how... I don't know how to wrap up today because it 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 it, ha it has not been. Maybe that's all just to say, Rose. It's been great. Thank you so much for coming on. This episode has not been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica's fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right.
I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were 